Hi, welcome to Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to Brian Collins, a former content marketer for Sage and the founder of Become a Writer Today. Now, we're talking tips and advice on how to improve your copywriting skills. Thanks for downloading. Now, they say practice makes perfect, but can you really practice your copywriting skills? And how do you find the time to write quality pieces when the pressure's there to kind of churn out more and more content? Well, help is at hand from Brian Collins. He's a former content marketer with Sage, the accounting folk. He's also the founder of Become a Writer Today. His content has been viewed over 10 million times, and he's been a guest writer for the likes of Lifehacker and Forbes and Fast Company. Uh, He's also the author of several best-selling books, including The Art of Writing a Non-Fiction Book, The Power of Creativity, and Yes, You Can Write. Now, you can find Brian at becomearitertoday.com, becomearitertoday.com. He also hosts the Become a Writer Today podcast as well. There's links to all of that in the show notes. Can I quickly mention the Not Another Marketing podcast is totally ad-free. I'd love it if you could give the pod a quick shout on social media. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app. Uh, You can find out more podcast episodes at jtid.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Now, the first thing I asked Brian was if we can practice our copywriting, can we practice copywriting skills, even when it's our job? So, so John, thanks for having me on. That's a a great question. I worked as a copywriter uh, on and off for 10 years as a freelance copywriter and also for uh, Sage, I suppose to be well known, which are all instantly in the UK. Um, How do we practice copywriting? What I found is there's no easy way to learn copywriting like other professions. You can't go to university to study to become a copywriter. And to be honest, you can't really find night classes in, you know, your local college or town either. The way I learned copywriting was by reading copywriting books. Um, so if you Google copywriting books, a, a list will come up. I think The Boring Letters by mm. Gary Halbert was the first one I read. Uh, and then The Ultimate Sales Letter by Dan Kennedy was another one. Um, and then it's simply taking what you learn in copywriting books and putting them into practice. Now, what I found is some of the ideas in the books are quite dated, uh, but you can still take away some key principles. Like, for example, when, when I was presented with a PowerPoint presentation describing uh, all of the technical features and whiz bang uh, yeah. inside of a product, the product marketing manager was very excited about it. Uh, yeah. But like, that's quite boring for the end user to read. So your job is to figure out how to turn all those those crazy features and technical wells and whistles into something that's everyday language that somebody who's on a website and doesn't have much time can, can understand what you're saying. Yeah, what is it about PowerPoint presentations? The people who create them love them and the people who have to watch them hate them, don't they? I have a, a loading for PowerPoint <laughs> presentations. I, I recognize they're a great communication tool when you're in a, you know, a big company yeah. and people are in different locations. But I, I really dislike them because what I saw happen, and I still see it happening on, on companies when I'm buying sometimes their products or services, particularly B2B companies. Yeah. They take the PowerPoint presentation and there's a crazy graphic or a wheel and they slap it on their website as if to say, now, this is what our product does. And all that graphic represents is the value proposition for the product, which makes sense to the internal product marketing manager, but it makes no sense to everybody else. So, yeah. so that's... So the, the, the PowerPoint presentation is useful, but it's useful, but it's not meant for external consumption. 
Yeah, so so you wouldn't say we need to go back home really to practice writing copy because if you we were doing fiction, for example, and we were writing a book, then we could go home in the evenings and we could like sit there and conjure up little short stories, for example, and that would would kind of like practice our, our writing skills. But with marketing, you don't go home and write marketing copy, do you? It's yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. So I took a copywriting course online by the American Writers and Artists Institute. Mm. It's probably the most well-known online copywriting course. It was $500. And in the course, they recommended writing out famous sales letters. And I, I, I did that. It took me a couple of hours to write out some of the sales letters by hand that they recommended. Um, what I found that was quite useful was figuring out how to describe a product in everyday language as if you're writing to a friend. So that's probably the closest I've gotten to practicing yeah. copywriting like you practice writing poetry or you practice writing a short story um i think copywriting is a bit more scientific now because you can yeah. write copy on a website and then you'll get immediate feedback about whether the copy is converting from your analytics or from your email marketing software that's probably the type of practice you, you'd be doing today um I, I guess copywriting is part art and part science we're kind of creating more content than ever before. I think there was a report out by Binder not long ago, a couple of months ago, um, which said that uh, in their survey that they surveyed a whole whole load of content marketers and, and they worked out that over the pandemic particularly that, that they've increased their content by 40 to 60%, a, a huge amount, amount of more content. And when I mean content, we're talking about stuff for the website, stuff for social media, that the whole content thing if you know what i mean um if we're if we're having to produce enormous amounts of content now which a lot of marketers are how do we kind of tie find the time to produce quality stuff yeah there's a lot more content being produced even when i was in sage like our team mm. expanded exponentially every year um and you look at any b2b website and you'll see that they've really invested heavily in content marketing um how do we find time to create so much content i guess the question boils down to who are you creating for? How much resources do you have? And what's the goal for your content? So, you know, if you're creating for um, somebody who's analyzing or reviewing software, chances are you're going to have, you know, written case studies, maybe a video comparing the products and it'd be related to the customer pain points. Uh, would all of that content make sense in TikTok? Probably not. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it could make a good article, could potentially make a good video on YouTube. Um, that's where it comes down to how much resources do you have. If your website's already getting traffic, perhaps it's best to start with the article um, or the comparison. Uh, and then when you when the article's beginning to gain traction, you can see people visiting it, then how can you improve the article? You know, perhaps you could put in that video that's going to take a few more resources to create. Um, and re repurposing is another option. So if you create something once, don't assume that everybody's read it. Sure. You know, you can easily turn that asset into smaller assets that you can reuse over and over and put diff a different spin on. Uh, do you think there is an urge to create more content? Some, and, and I suppose this is, I suppose, driven by social media in a way to that, that we, we feel the need to have to create more when maybe we should just sit back a little bit and maybe maybe work out a proper strategy. Yeah, it's definitely driven by social media and that, you know, the, the algorithms for social media channels reward people who publish early, often mm. and frequently. Uh, that's why it's also good to have a part of the internet that you can, can call your own um, so that you can prepare a strategy for it. So ideally, you're di directing some of your followers off social media uh, to your website and onto your email list, and you can start your strategy there. So these are the three to five topics I'm going to talk about that relate to my business or that relate to yeah, yeah. 
my website uh, and that can inform all the different types of content that you publish on different channels um, whereas if you try to do everything you know it, it, it will be uh, quite difficult so so yeah start with the strategy who are you going to create for uh, how often are you going to publish uh, how many much resources do you have to help and where are you going to publish it yeah I mean did you use when you were writing for Sage did you use to plan ahead quite a lot and if you did how far ahead would you plan when I was uh, working for Sage, it was an editorial calendar that the, the team developed as right. the team expanded. And how far ahead would that go? Uh, the year, so that would cover the right. entire year. Um, now, what I found is, uh, you know, in Sage and also in like my own work running content websites, is that you can prepare a great plan for the year, but then three or four months in, something will happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, a campaign could be launched if it's in a company. If it's your own website, you could, you know, suddenly something could happen in your business and you need to change direction. Um, so you've got to be flexible with your plan. So for smaller businesses or people listening to this who are t- want to invest more in content marketing, I would say it's enough to plan two or three months in advance. Um, and after that, you could just have some general themes that you'd like to cover later in the year. But, but you, you know, there's no point going into the weeds about what you're going to do in 11 months time because um, chances are you, you'll have changed direction by then. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And would you, would you plan ahead with social media stuff as well? I uh, Yes, yeah, so social media is interesting in that it, for a company, it's, it can be reactive. So if something's in the news, yeah. you know, a company might need to take a position on that, um, like like Black Lives Matter. And then it's social media then can also relate to whatever campaigns the product marketing team are doing. Uh, and then it can also be reactive based on what people are saying on Twitter about a company's product or service. Yeah, I guess if you're running your own content business or a smaller business, um, like I'm doing, you don't have to worry as much about you know the, some of those areas. Um, so it really depends on how engaged your social media audience is uh, and how relevant it is to your content. Yeah, I mean, my own opinion is kind of like that. It's not really black and white. There is a huge grey area, isn't there? That, that that you might you might plan out, for example, blog articles and content, uh, knowledge building stuff, for example, on a on a blog. Uh, and you might plan that out three to six months in advance, but at the same time, you would plan out the social media that goes with it three to six months in advance. But then all the other stuff you would have <laughs> it would almost be fitting into some other area, wouldn't it, where you would almost work on a day-to-day basis planning? Yes, yeah, so the way we approached it in Sage, and this is probably, it's probably influenced how I create content for, for my own sites, is you'd, you'd almost create a, a package uh, mm. around a specific campaign or a topic. So you have an ebook. Now, there will be several people working on this or an agency, but you, sure. you'd have an ebook, you might have a series of videos, you'd have all the tweets, you would have all the Facebook posts, uh, you would have the landing page copy, you would also have, um, you know, any other smaller assets like blog posts and so on. Um, and then there would, there would be like a publishing plan that goes along with that and a spreadsheet that shows you where everything is with links to everything and who it's for and when it should go live. Um, that's quite a bit of project management. Yeah. But <clears throat> It's, if you create all of that up front, then it it gives you the resources to run for the next three months. Now, chances are you may have to change some of those things within the three months, but when you, when you have the resources to do that, I suppose it, it can help with efficiency. Yeah, I suppose if you documented an awful lot of the processes, well, it's going to make repurposing this content in the future a little bit easier as well, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a big believer in uh, documentation. So if you're, in a, if you're in a company, you have to document because you have to yeah. collaborate with other people. Perhaps you're managing somebody, you know, you can't do all the work yourself. You need, it's your job as a manager to get somebody to work on part of the project with you. And for that, you need to document what a good result looks like. And if you're running your own business, it's still important to document some of the processes 
because you're going to have to outsource at some point or perhaps get somebody in who can help you so you're not working 100 hour weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where it's helpful to document your processes. The tools I use to document at the moment are Loom. So it's, I think it's free to, to use for mm. a, a few minutes. Um, and then after that, it's a couple of dollars a month. But basically, I can record short screencasts quickly and easily showing how, how, how I lay out articles on the site and how I like them published and when. Um, and then I, that connects to Trello, which is project management software. And Trello has checklists. Sure. So therefore, I can copy tra- checklists from one task to the next on Trello. Uh, and that's a type of documentation. Yeah, I found it found it easy myself. I, just before I, I, we were recording this chat, I was repurposing um, an old podcast from about six or seven months ago into a couple of really short clips. But all the templates, all the information, all the everything is already documented when I recorded the podcast. So it it took me like half an hour to do that, which was which was great. Yeah, ideally you want to put yourself out of the job. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Document so that you can hand it over to somebody who can do it better. Yeah, yeah, and you. Um, like for me, I like to create content. Um, so my site is about uh, writing advice, become a writer today. So I like to write articles for that site. Sure. Um, and a couple of, but if a couple of other sites where I don't write content for, but I, ju- I, what I've done is documented the processes from site one. And then I give that to a freelance writer or an editor. Uh, and they'll use that to create content on the other sites. Let's talk a little bit about creativity because it, it's not a switch, is it? It's not something that you can turn on and off. It, it, it is quite emotional, isn't it? It depends on how you're feeling. We've all had dodgy days. How, how can we kind of find our creativity when it's when it feels to be switched off? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I took a course a few years ago from the American screenwriter David Mamet Mm. and masterclass um no, no plans to write a screenplay or a desire to write a screenplay but i was just interested in his take mm. and i got one great piece of advice in the course which he also talks about in some of his interviews which is if you do one thing for your art every day yeah. and if you do one thing for your business every day so if you're a writer that will be producing 500 or a thousand words in the morning when you're fresh or potentially in the evening if, if, if you like to write in the evening uh, and then you do one thing for your business every day so that could be pitching clients if you're a freelance writer um if you're running a content publishing business it could be planning out a keyword strategy um if you're selling digital products it could be you know mapping out uh what your next launch is going to look like and if you do that you'll be able to balance creative work like recording videos or this podcast interview with other types of work um that will help you pay the bills and keep the lights on um whereas if you do creative work all day yeah, uh, chances are come the end of the month, you might not have much money. Yeah. And if you do business tasks all day, you know, you're going to feel burnt out and maybe you won't like your business that much. Yeah. Do you think it's a good idea to try and identify the time of the day when you feel fresh? I Yes, I do. I've experimented with, with this mm. quite a bit. And I, my takeaway is it really does vary by somebody's personal circumstances and how they like to create. Yeah. But for, for me, so when I was working in Sage, I would get up early in the morning before Sage so I could spend an hour and a half writing. Um, and I wrote a series of nonfiction books and articles for the site. Um, Cause I found it was in the, if it was in the evening time, I was drained after a, a day of Zoom calls and uh, meetings. So I wouldn't write at all. So, so that worked quite well for, for me. Um, these days I still like to write and record video or podcasting in the morning. Um, and then I would work on other tasks in the afternoon and then kind of low value administrative stuff then towards the end of the day. Like, or, like, you know, before or five o'clock. Um, and then if I have time in the evening, I'd either not do any work or, if, you know, if it's a dark night and I'm not going anywhere, I might do an hour of writing um, late at night before I go to bed. 
Uh, so yeah, it really depends on your own workflow and personal circumstances. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I, I kind of like try and get the bulk of the actual sort of like, I suppose that deep work thing done in the morning and then in the afternoon it's the zoom meetings and the admin and and recording podcasts and doing all that sort of stuff which which isn't quite you know you don't have to concentrate quite so much yeah yeah if you, if i find if i do the hardest task first yeah first thi- first thing uh the rest of the day feels a lot easier there was a, there was a book about that wasn't there something about eating frogs or something yeah eat that frog yeah. yes <laughs> And there's another book uh, by an American general, Make Your Bed. S- similar kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, theory. But basically, do, do whatever you don't want to do first, and then yeah, the rest yeah. of the day is better. Um, do you think it's a good idea to set out some sort of formula or, or a workflow template for, for writing our, con- our different types of content? I, I watched an interview years ago with the folks who wrote the episodes of Friends on the TV show and they they had a they had it worked out to to the nth degree it was kind of like first line laugh second line laugh third line emotional feel fourth line laugh and it was it was so structured it was unbelievably structured but it obviously worked and you, and you were creative around that so do you think we should kind of look at doing something like that where we we have a Kind of like a formula to work to. I haven't heard that story, but it makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, so every type of writing or creative work has some kind of genre that you need to work within. And every genre has conventions, meaning you need to deliver certain things. Um, So I took a course a few years ago from Robert McKee, who's a story doctor. And he's a great book called Story, which I recommend everybody read, Hmm. even if you don't want to write screenplays. Um, And he, he just explained that if you're writing a thriller, there are certain things that need to happen in the thriller. No yeah. matter how creative you are, no matter how you know great of a screenwriter you are, if you don't do these things, the audience will leave the cinema dissatisfied. And it's your job as a screenwriter, and he, later he applied this to, to business writing, but it's your job as a screenwriter to figure out the genre you're working within and then to figure out the conventions of that genre. So, I mean, it sounds like that the Friends writers figured that out and yeah. you know, made millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so it's, I think it still applies for whatever you're doing. Yeah, I think you're right, because when, when I look back at my own time in radio years and years and years ago, and we, we were given what we would call clocks, and there were round clocks with the hour split up, and it was basically sort of like you'd have the news, you'd have the weather, you'd have two songs, and then it would sort of like be funny. So you'd do a funny and then the next thing would be another song and then the next thing would be an ad break and the next thing would be promotion. You do a promotion. So everything is incredibly structured within each hour and each hour is different. Uh, And I think this could be a good way to, to, do you think, make the writing process a little easier? Well, structure can give you confines within which to work. Um, Some might say that that can stifle creativity, but some sort of constraint can actually enable you know more creative thinking because if you know that i need to do x y and z then you can figure out creative ways to do that whereas if you open up your podcasting recording software or your your writing app and it's a blank page and a flashing cursor or the open mic and you've no idea what you're going to say or what you're going to write or how long it's going to be or what you're trying to achieve with it it's going to be much harder than if you know that this is a two thousand word article um, about storytelling, for example, and these are the five to seven points that I need to hit, and this is my keyword. Um, I'm using that example because that's yeah, an yeah. article I was editing earlier. But you could you could give that to like five different people, and five different people would come up with completely different creative results, wouldn't they? They they would. Perhaps they've got you know personal insights they could bring to the introduction, 
Um, perhaps they have a different way of approaching mm. research or they think about storytelling differently. But if it's an article, it still needs to do certain things. It needs yeah. to have an introduction. Um, it needs to be broken up with at least one or two subheads or transitions so people can read it. Um, and if it's going to be published online, you, you need, you know, the writer should probably think about whatever the keyword or intent of the article is if they want any hope of getting traffic. Um, do you think it's a good idea to keep notes or a, some sort of a journal as a, as a marketer, you know, it's for storing ideas and even phrases and previous work or work that you admire that you can actually refer to and, and look at to help, you know, boost a little bit of creativity from time to time? When I took those copywriting courses, I came across the, the concept of a swipe file. Right. A swipe, a swipe file basically describes uh, where you put all of your sales letters and headlines um, and uh, little stories that help with copywriting. So you're not reinventing the wheel each time. Uh, and that was kind of something that, that struck a chord with me. Um, I started by keeping a version of a swipe file in Evernote by just clipping sales pages mm. and headlines and so on that I liked into Evernote. Um, these days I use something called the, the Zettelkasten method, which, which, which is quite good for nonfiction writers. Uh, ba basically it involves, if you read an article or take a course, you'd summarize the key idea from the article or course, um, on a single note in your own words. Uh, and then you would put a quote from the article that you read below it and then the source, uh, and then you would interlink the notes. And the idea is that you're <clears throat> uh, building a, a kind of an ongoing conversation in your personal settle casting yeah. and you're also learning more about the topic because you're forced to summarize it in your own words and then you know a couple of months later if i wanted to write an article on storytelling i could open up the app i use for this method type in storytelling and see all of the notes i've taken about storytelling and how i've summarized them over the past few months whereas if i just looked at clippings it would be much harder to do that because I would just be looking at a series of web pages. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I approach it. So, so it's, it's, it's almost like a little bit of a mind map type thing, everything interconnected in a way. It is. It is. It took me a while to figure it out, but it's it's based on a process by the German um, science writer, Nicholas Luhmann, who wrote several dozen books in the 1950s and 60s. Um, for anybody who's interested in learning more about the Zettelkasten method, there's a great book called Taking Smart Notes that I'd recommend checking out. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and then another author I interviewed a while ago, David Cadavy, has a book on the Zettelkasten method as well, and he, he goes through it too. Um, you don't need any fancy software. It doesn't take too long to learn once you grasp the concept of progressive summarization and interlinking your notes. Yeah. Do, do you store clips? Um, little ideas, little phrases, little things like that? So, so I used to just like clip whole web pages, but now our articles... Now what I'll do is I'll just take a highlight from the article that I think is interesting. Just put that into the, the app I use um, and then I'll put the link and then I'll just put my reaction above the clip. Um, so, so that's how I'd approach it because chances are I can just go back and find the original yeah. source easily enough. Um, it's fascinating stuff. We could chat for ages about this. Um, where can we find you, Brian? Where's your website, social media bits and pieces? Where can folks oh, get oh, yeah, in thanks touch? Thanks for asking. So I have a site for writers. Uh, if you're interested in getting advice about the craft, mm becomearitertoday.com If you type in Become a Writer Today into iTunes, you can also listen to the podcast where um, I, I interview other writers and content marketers about their processes. I, I interviewed you uh, a yeah. few weeks ago, John. Yeah, yeah. So by the time your listeners hear this, it will potentially will be live. Um, and if you want to just get in touch, I'm on Twitter at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, J. Collins. Yeah, I think I found, I found one of your videos years ago because I came oh up God. with this. <laughs> Am I going to be cancelled? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it was, uh, 
Ah, I, I was I was trying to work out how to because I was writing a book which is now turned into. Uh, a fictional book, which is now turned into a retirement project because I just don't have the time to sit down and concentrate on it anymore. Um, and I was trying to work out how to structure it more than anything, like do the research for it and store the research, like, you know, remembering things that you mentioned in Chapter 1 and when you get to Chapter 62, you, you know, the hair colours changed or something, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I found your videos pretty useful, to be honest with you, on that. Oh, thank th thank you. Yeah, if you, for somebody who's writing fiction, uh, Scrivener is fantastic for, yeah. for what you've just described uh, you, you, you can build out a i presume you're writing fiction because you describe hair colors yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you can put in descriptions of your characters into one part of your scrivener file and then write the actual story in another part well it's definitely going to be a retirement project i think um brian i'm going to stick all those links and everything uh, in the show notes so folks can just tap on them and go there straight away um dead easy um thanks ever so much for your time really appreciate it thank you john Thanks again to Brian for his time. Don't forget to check out his website and podcast. The links are in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe for more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favourite podcast player. It's everywhere, all of them. Just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.